0: Welcome to the Sacred Story Podcast. I'm Laura, your host, and I'm thrilled that you're here. During this podcast, we carve out sacred space to reflect on our God-authored stories, hear from women about their chapters, and think about God's greater story around the world. It's been fun to kick off our podcast series with the unexpected turns, and I'm excited for our guest today. Ashley, hi. How are you?
1: Hi. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to be with you guys today. You're welcome. And
0: I'm I'm excited for us to talk about um, your story and what actually involved you and God's greater story around the world. So give us a little bit of an idea of uh, how, what unexpected looked like for you while you were in college.
1: Yeah. So um, from an early age, just really began to follow uh, Jesus. But then I was about my third year in college, um, was going to be a doctor on that route. And then I just had a lot of brokenness and hard things that had happened in my life and was just in need of a lot of healing. And in that third year, I just desperately cried out to the Lord and needed uh, just an encounter with him and just cried out that he would show himself to me. Mm -hmm. And in that encounter, I saw, I was actually in a worship service. And um, all of a sudden, all I could see was just light and glory going forth. Um, and all I could hear was, holy, 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 it's the Lord God Almighty. And I just got caught up in the beauty and glory of who Jesus is and seeing him clearly, that it was like in a moment, all of these ambitions and good things that I wanted to become, the Lord made mm-hmm. really small. And all wow. I wanted to do was give my life for him. And I just felt like the Lord showed me that he had given me an Isaiah 6 encounter, just what Isaiah saw, that I saw the beauty of his splendor, you know, and when he was in his temple and just seeing his beauty and getting caught up in that, um, in response, my heart was like, yes, Lord, send me wherever you would take me. Um, so it was really from that place that the Lord started speaking to me through different occasions about the Middle East. And it was really rather quickly. I was, you know, in my year and it was like all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm not even really wanting to be a doctor. This is kind of frustrating. I'm failing classes. This is kind of frustrating. <laughs> Wait, I'm, were you,
0: were you, you were headed to be a doctor? Is yeah. That right? Yeah.
1: Oh. Yeah. I was, I was getting my, I was at the latter end of the prerequisites to become a doctor and very, you know, good student. Usually it was easy for me to make good grades. So it was yeah. rather daunting, you know, all of a sudden having like, this type of turn. I mean, I would suddenly
0: be. yeah headed and you're suddenly taking a 180.
1: Absolutely. I would literally be studying for a test. I remember one day I was studying for a test, you know, super focused. And then all of a sudden God just came in and like gave me this vision of all of these Muslim women coming to Christ. Um, wow. And just all of a sudden they're getting unveiled. Like I could just see mm-hmm. like God mm-hmm. was taking off a veil from their face. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Begin to weep. And I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm kind of frustrated because it's so suddenly that I'm like, wait, but I'm supposed to be like focused here. And all of a sudden I'm just getting wrecked and turned upside down in a moment. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, amen. And that
0: happens to us sister, but this is, um, this is quite a change for a college student. So, and when um, the Lord came to you in the worship encounter, had you had anything like that before where you had seen him in a, you know, kind of your eyes removed from and see the spiritual realm? Um, it sounds like that's how he came to you.
1: Yeah, actually that was the first time to really have something like that. And really, I don't want to say a one-off in my life, but in that, you know, in that way, I mean, for me, you know, God can speak in so many different ways and Mm -hmm. him speaking in a still small voice or just this Mm -hmm. knowing on the Mm -hmm. inside is just as important, you know, as those big Yeah, what we call big moments, which I don't think I'd seize it like that. (laughs) Right, Um,
0: Right. they're the they're the exception instead of the rule.
1: Absolutely. How beautiful though that you were
0: were able to um, just turn your heart toward him through that experience. Can you share a couple of the hard things that you went through growing up? I know for all of us, we walk through different areas of pain and hurt.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, so for me, that encounter was also very pivotal because. Um, I grew up with a father who was, he, he, with what he had received, he was amazing. But, um, just as all fathers, they're, yeah, they're doing well with what they have. And I think that I didn't understand, um, kind of that emotional capacity as God is father. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, you know, when I would sin or when I would fall, I didn't understand that I could just run into the arms of the father and that he could just heal me in a moment. So Uh, because I didn't have that revelation, you know, I would go to other things in the world, um, for that. So that's that encounter also like the shame condemnation, there's the self-worth that I was missing that I needed him to fill. He was able to fill, you know, in that moment as well. And just how much he delights in me and oh. just me being me. He's like, I really like it when you tap your toe, you know, just yeah, how yeah. God dances over us
0: and yeah, delivers us and that. delights
1: in us. Yeah. And also, um, when I was in high school, I had one of my really close friends pass away. And it was for me just a place where I hit kind of rock bottom, but also was kind of that unexpected turn of like, it was the worst occasion, but also helped catapult me more into God
0: in that desperate mm-hmm.
1: place of, um, wow, like what am I, like woke me up, what am I really doing with my life that matters? Even as a young, you know, high school, young, you could say kid, I was having to really come to grip with these really big questions in my own life. Um, wow. So that was really, wow. pivotal, but difficult. <laughs> I know.
0: Yes, I can imagine. And now, so then you're in college, and you have this encounter with the Lord, and your heart is really turned toward Him. He's, you're sensing His delight in you, and His just like you said, removing the healing, pouring out healing. And now you're having um, almost visions of Muslim women coming to faith, and th- your heart is turning toward this um, this place in God's. Um, God's world, the Middle East. And so what are your parents saying, though, when you what did you do after you had the visions? And then how did your parents respond to your desire to reach out to Muslim women?
1: Yeah, this was also one of the harder places.
0: because I'm thinking (laughs) as a parent, you're like, okay, wait, I'm putting you through college.
1: You know, I'm paying for it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I'm actually I mean, I was an only child as well. So it made it, you know, even more. Intense. But um, yeah, this is actually a really amazing story. And even in my family, because it was so 180, you know, I was super success oriented. I was going after all these like amazing and right, like good goals. Sure. Um, and so my parents also like had so many like hopes and dreams for me. Um, so when it took 180, it was very jolting. Even for them, I always tell people that the gospel And I feel like the Lord spoke to me me about this, that the gospel has always been meant for the family. We see this in the book of Acts, that it wasn't to affect one person, but that you as one person following Jesus, you bring your family into that. And then when you say yes and you obey, it's causing them to ask those same questions um, about what you're doing. And so that's what it really did. I feel like for my family, I remember having like really hard like, good, hard conversation to my mom, and she was like, I don't understand, like, what's worth something so much that you would give up everything, you know, and I just remember that the Lord spoke to me that this is the greatest gospel witness that you could have, that you could impact, you know, your family with, and that's with our lives, that we can do that, (laughs) and for me, it was a testimony that Jesus is the pearl of great price that Jesus is worth giving up everything for to follow him, that we may gain, like we may have true life. Um, And so that was just my personal, you know, testimony for my family that just the preciousness and the value of following Jesus and that, that obedience, that God's going to honor it. And then he's going to encounter them and impact them. And I've seen that, you know, testimonies in my own life that it looked hard in the moment, but because I continued to say yes and obey, even when it looked kind of foolish and scary, even for them and for me, sometimes you know, that God honored it, and He encountered them in the process, and He helped them. I mean, I've had my mom have dreams, you know, confirming what I do, and that God just honors it, and He He shows mm-hmm. wisdom when it twists. Sure.
0: Wisdom. So. Hey. He takes care of everyone else in your story, in a sense. And, you know, I love your passion, Ashley, because I worked with college students. I I actually came to Christ in college. So my life was radically changed. And then I worked with college students for almost um, 10 years. And so I love the passion and I love the availability to the Lord. So tell us a little bit more what happened when you discerned that he was leading you to the Middle East.
1: Yeah, so right after, pretty quickly after the encounter, I um, went back home and then three months later started having dreams that I was sprinting through mosque with a scroll in my hand, like a messenger. And um, so I prayed about it because I was like, this is from the Lord. I don't really know. This is also like we talked about new ways that God's speaking to you. This was a new way for God to speak to me. But I knew it was God um and that's the thing you know about dreams and visions like when it's God you have that peace you just have that knowing and so I prayed about it and um, and then
0: the circumstances confirm and the word of God yeah. confirms that you have multiple confirmations
1: absolutely when God's speaking he you know he can he can do whatever he wants he can talk through whatever whoever <laughs> so I love that about God and his creativity and his, even his desire just to be amongst all of the different things of our life and speak through different things. And so for me, it was, so I prayed about it, got Istanbul and messenger. And then another occurrence, I was like watching TV and it was like perfect display, you know, of Turkish culture and an email, free Turkish classes. So it was just one thing after another that God was making it very clear. Wow. Like, Somebody else had prayed for me, Gave went through the land and was like, hey, I got this and I think it's for you. And it was for me, it was because this was a new way God was speaking to me. I'm like, wow, this is like almost too much. You know? <laughs> it's, it's pouring speaking. out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So from that place, it's like God was beginning to position my heart, you know, more and more. And so then I decided to um, kind of get trained in that discipleship making kind of um, with an organization and then also with a house of prayer kind of background. And so that was the beginning of that for me. And then I launched for two years out there in Turkey. So,
0: Okay. So you spent time as a Christian worker in Turkey, and I want to get to the people who are in flux into Turkey right now as refugees. And so give us a little bit of an idea of what life is like for a refugee.
1: Yeah, absolutely. In In Turkey, but even in the Middle East in general, uh, life as a refugee, for the most part, is very difficult. You know, it's not like what we think when they come into Europe and they're able to start a new life. Um, It's very like they are not, for the most part, able to get a job, to make money, to feel like a normal human. I've actually even been thinking about this quite a bit of even how, wow, like this word we're using can even be dehumanizing, you know, Mm -hmm. in a sense. And just their worth as a human and I mean most of these people we don't think about it but they were doctors they were lawyers they were they were people just like you and me they have dreams they have their own dreams for life and family in a in a moment like unexpectedly it everything got pulled out from them and then with I mean you think of it and then they go in this new place with no possibly you know in their sense no hope of like we can't build anything new where we've landed. And so yeah, it's just the difficulty of that mentally, practically, <laughs> can be very difficult.
0: Yes. And I know we've talked about this that I spent some time over in that part of the world and, and met people who have had to leave their countries because of war. There was no mm-hmm. option. Or, you know, one um man had been um part of the, um, a photographer for the government where he lived and the uh, terrorists were coming after him and trying to recruit him to be a photographer for them. And that he did not want to do that. So he had no choice but to flee with his wife. And so there's just a lot of um, stories that are heartbreaking. And tell me a little bit also how you, what, what you've gathered about refugees fleeing their home countries. What other, th- what other reasons have you, you yeah, know, come across?
1: There's two different ones that I I came across. You know, it also, for the most part, will probably depend what has happened in the country they fled from. So like you said, a refugee, they could either be fleeing from war, so they could not be believers. They're fleeing from war. They've landed in another country, maybe because they're minorities or just because there's, like, just full-on war happening. Um, There also can be, you know, a country whose government is not accepting of Christianity. And so they have to flee from what that would be persecution. Um, so you yes. see, you know, believers yes. who are fleeing, who are now refugees because of persecution of their faith, or you see those fleeing from war because they're minorities who could be believers or not believers.
0: Yes. Uh, yes. I have met both. And I see that these conditions, as hard as they are, and this is an unexpected turn for us in the world history, not that it's unexpected to God, but the fact that many, many people are fleeing from this area of the world. How do these conditions facilitate the spread of the greatest story ever told, is what I call, in the gospel?
1: Yeah, I think we're living in amazing times, honestly, especially for the Muslim world, as the church, we have one of the greatest opportunities, like, in the world. I think about people who pioneered in, you know, Samuel Zwemer, he was one, they call him, like, the apostle to Islam. I can't, I can't remember the specific date, but, you know, he, like, the days we're seeing today, like, these people would have, like, longed to see, well, the fruit, and just things that are happening, and it's very interesting, you see, you know, historically speaking, these Muslim countries, right before they open up, they usually end to get tend to get very, like, kind of gripped. And then it's, like, all of a sudden dispersed. And then they're, like, really open for the gospel. Um, so it's just an interesting pattern, you know, that's happening yeah. in the Middle East. And we always, you know, we've been praying for awakening for Muslim people and for years and years and years. And it's just interesting. I doubt that many of us thought it would come this way. But yes. now we're seeing in the dispersion of these people, they're for the first time they're able to hear. For the first time, they're able to open up their minds and to think, you know, differently. So it's almost like it's breaking off, you know, things from their ears and their eyes, so they're able to actually receive the gospel because it's causing them to get to that desperate point. Um, and yes. so, yeah.
0: I agree, and I've seen that as well in my experiences, and I think that there is a historical trend that God has used diaspora, and that's just kind Mm -hmm. of a word that we can, you know, sounds kind of— a different word, but it just means scattering. So God has used the scattering of people throughout the history to actually bring his word and, and put them in a position like you're saying where they can hear now from him. And whereas, um, maybe the circumstances they were in did not lend itself like many countries in this area of the world are, um, to actually become a follower of Christ is illegal.
1: Yeah. A little bit about, uh,
0: Um, the biggest barriers that you see to Muslim people coming to faith in Christ.
1: Yeah. And one of those would be what they've been, you know, taught their whole life within their religion is, you know, that this is how it is. This is who we are. And so even when they're able to like see and hear the word for the first time, they're very much like, wait, so I, I believe this is true. But if this is true, that means everything I've been taught for my whole life and the grandparents and grandparents is totally wrong. And so in a sense, it jolts them and it's kind of very shocking. With with Mm -hmm. that, it brings about just a deep rooted fear that because of what they've been taught, if they follow the way of Jesus, they'll go to hell. And so there's a fear of if I make this decision, what does that mean? So just a fear I'm uh, doing sure. that and what it will cost them, but mostly what it will cost their mm-hmm. family, what their, you know, what could happen if they end up actually following Jesus and, you know, that sort of thing.
0: Yes. And we don't realize what a gift we have here in our country to be able just to make a decision for Christ. And that's such a gift that we have in not having all of those barriers. Not to say there aren't barriers, but we don't have um, such the cost as Muslim people do. So how do you see the Holy Spirit overcoming these barriers?
1: As most of us have heard, just the way that God is encountering Muslims, you know, so many stories about Jesus himself coming to Muslims and dreams and visions and just where they're like openly seeing him. um, This is quite normal, (laughs) In the middle. Yeah. Also through the smallness and uh, just normal, like what we hear in the West as well. But I just think that that is very normal. And that's ways that God is overcoming that fear. Because if they're able to see him and to really be like, wow, he really is the way, the truth and the life. And to break off, you know, that unbelief or the darkness, whatever's hindering them from following him and giving Mm -hmm. them that spirit Mm -hmm. of courage to step out. I believe that's why, you know, we're seeing such a powerful move. It's because they need it.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. And I've seen that, too. I've seen the Holy Spirit overcome barriers. And part of it is the geographical change. It helps to overcome those barriers. And then like what you're saying, this divine uh, revelation in dreams and visions that, yes, Jesus is the one that uh, is true. And so tell me a little bit about once a person becomes a believer or follower of Christ who's from a Muslim background, what challenges have you seen or observed in he or she, you know,
1: living out their new faith? Yeah, it can be multiple different barriers that happen depending on the situation. But, you know, one, like I had said is they could have persecution from their own family. Um, You know, it's, it's seen as when this happens to bring shame, upon their family. Um, Mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. the cost of that can be very high to, you know, having to flee. So they're not killed. Um, Even from their Mm -hmm. own family, you know, whether it's like physical abuse, verbal. um, Yeah. Also, even we don't think about this a lot, like even in their jobs, you know, if they're to find out, you know, they could lose their job. And it's, if they're known to be a follower of Christ, getting you know, a good job could be difficult, um, especially in their, if they're kind of in more prominent places. Um, But that's another way that they could also have difficulties. And once they followed Christ.
0: Yes, I see that. I know that I've heard a story even of a guy whose family, the authorities went to look for him. And when they didn't find him, they knew that he had become a believer they actually took retribution out on his brother and um, uh, it was, you know, terrible torture of a family member. Yes. So, and yet God is going to triumph and be the victor and the victory over in this part of the world. So what does discipleship look like in this kind con- uh,
1: I would, I would say discipleship looks, you know, everywhere globally, very similar. Um, but obviously because of what we just talked about, that sense of community and family within like the family of God is very important. Um, That sense of closeness of people who are with them through those like trials and difficulties. um, I think just, I just see so much, you know, it's for, for us the same, but discipleship and so much growth happens within that family context um, and getting healed and, you know, just being amongst brothers and sisters. Um, and obviously discipleship, it's not as open, you know, in the sense of like Western, we could, oh, yeah, we can just go to this church thing so freely all the time. Um, but it will look more like relational um, meeting, you know, as they can, and not as, like, in open spaces, if that makes sense.
0: In Turkey, are you saying that that's the... Cl-
1: um, not as bad as some places, but, I mean, anywhere. Yeah. I would say anywhere in a, in a Muslim context. It's just something... There's mm-hmm. always, like, wisdom that's needed.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, when it's predominantly a Muslim yes. um Okay. And then what would you say, so for those of us who are living in the United States, how can we come alongside the refugee crisis that's over in this part of the world? And then also, what would
1: you say to us who have Muslim friends here in the U.S.? Yeah, absolutely. I Sometimes I feel very much like such an advocate or like a trumpeter for this topic, but Mm -hmm. I just believe that God is on this um, and just, it's such, like we said, such a great opportunity for the church to really be the church, um, wherever refugees are. And I think that if this is what God is doing in the world, we should get involved. I think it I do really feel that it's just the responsibility of the church to get involved with the refugee crisis and just to see how we can. So there's, there's two different things with this, um, so obviously, first off, that we have, were able to pray. So anywhere from any place to be praying that God would encounter refugees, you know, in this dispersion, that the Lord would show himself to them, that he would raise up, you know, Saul to Paul kind of conversions, that they themselves would be witnesses in the places that God has dispersed them to, that he would build his church, and um, also, so not just prayer, but practically, like whether it's Europe, whether it's America, whether it's the Middle East at the heart of that, that um, we would just look at ways that we can practically serve them. Um, so much of Middle Eastern culture and people and like we had said before, discipleship or those sort of things, it, it it's based off of relationship. Um, so just beginning to build relationship with them and seeing how we can serve them and help them is a huge witness um, to just the mercy of God. And I think that there's such a big opportunity to be vessels of mercy in the midst of crisis. And it's in the midst of crisis that people are, they're searching for God and God's already prepared the harvest and it's ready. But the question is, where are the harvesters? Where are the workers in these places? And so I think we should, as the church, and holistically and individually. Okay, God is doing this already. How how can we as the church get involved and what is our part to play? Because this is a big harvest and we all need each other to be working together in unison to be able to bring it in and to be about God's work.
0: Yes, I, I agree. And I think that God is calling us to rise up as a church in this hour and to pray for those who have been in darkness and to be, as you said, a light and love to them and a, also a vessel of truth. And so uh, I think that it's individual, right, for each person, but I'm just encouraging everyone on the listening to the podcast to pray and consider uh, what step God might have you. And it may be just praying um, regularly. Absolutely. And so, but Ashley, tell us do you have a story of, of someone that you've seen? Come to faith in Christ over in Turkey and just seen their life changed.
1: Yes, absolutely. Actually, recently um, there was someone who uh, years before had come, fled from persecution, so came to Christ, and now has been serving and was preaching. And then his brother actually came to just visit, so he would be like, "I'm an atheist. I don't want to hear, <laughs> you know, anything." But while he was coming he got in a car wreck and broke his leg while he was there. And so because of that, we always see that as a bad thing, but because that happened, God used it for good. And he was able to hear the gospel in that moment. And he was—he had to literally stay in this small location of only Christian people and believers. And what changed his heart is he saw the way that they loved one another. And he said, if this is what Jesus was about. And if this is what true Christianity is, and this is what I want to follow. And so it just transformed him. And so I also thought of this as being such an unexpected turn. You know, we see like, Oh my gosh, that's terrible. He broke his leg. But because of that happening, like he was able to receive the greatest gift ever though. It was, you know, that moment was kind of crazy. Um, But now, that person is like vibrant in ministry and sharing, and so zealous to share with everyone what this greatest gift is. Um, so, that story in itself was really encouraging to me.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. Little do we know what a broken bone can do for the soul, <laughs>
1: right? <laughs> can build the soul. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, I
0: love that. Well, I'm so proud of you, Ashley, if I can say that. I'm a couple of decades ahead of you, and I just love your heart and how you're you know, pouring it out and listening to the Lord and being willing to go and take the gospel uh, to places that are difficult at times and yet so rewarding. So how can we pray for you?
1: Yeah, definitely. Like I had said earlier, working in these type of contexts, you just need a lot of just wisdom and discernment and that the Lord would Just really um, anoint me, my team, what, you know, the body in that region, just for the work that he has, and just a spirit of unity would be upon us. So, Um, and that just perseverance, endurance to complete the assignment that God has in those regions. So, and strength and joy, you know, there's so many things you could pray, but those are some things.
0: Well, we are going to be praying for you. And I do want to mention to our listeners that Sacred Story Ministries is a faith-based ministry, so we rely on the donations of concerned individuals about God's greater story around the world to continue to pour out His work. So if you'd like, in response to this podcast, to go onto our site at sacredstoryministries.org. On the right, there's a Donate tab. You can make a donation and put in the donor notes— Muslim outreach. And I'm going to keep talking to Ashley, and we're going to find a way to um, channel that into this area of the world. So please donate as you feel led. We'd love that. And we're going to continue this conversation, Ashley. Thanks so much for being on. Yes, thanks so much for
1: having me.